prayer, we welcome you. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we can come together on a Wednesday night uh, and have an opportunity to open up our Bibles and to have a brief study together as we review yet another one of your names. And we pray that you would bless us, that you would use this study for spiritual good in our lives, uh, that those who don't yet know you would come to know you, and that those who know you would get to know you better. We're grateful for the children and grandchildren and neighborhood kids that are down below at Truth Trackers. We pray that you would bless the children's ministry tonight, help it to go well, and we pray that you'd give us all now a good evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And so we are glad you guys are here, and we welcome you. How many false gods are there? How many false gods are there? Anybody want to try a number? How many false gods? A lot. Someone said a lot. Sure. Yeah, I mean, how many? I, whatever you say, I, I don't know what I would respond except sure. Because, I mean, I, I think there's probably no limit to how many false gods there are, right? I mean, there's only so many religions, I would guess. But you could also worship things as false gods, right? What are some of the things that we worship as gods? Even We might not think of them as gods, but what are some of the things people worship as gods? Just to give us an idea. Family. family. We could put our family on such a high pedestal that our family becomes our god. That's a common one. What would be another example? A sports. Yeah. It could be that certain people worship sports. Maybe you're like a Georgia fan, and, and they do that a lot, you know. And, and then you just, yeah. And, and it might be whoever does it. I'm just teasing about George. It could be sports. Give me one more. What else do people worship as a god? Another example. Education. Education. Grades. So the idea that I have to get A's in my classes, I have to get uh, good grades, and I worship that, and that becomes very, very important to me. Okay? So there's many false gods that people worship, but I hope we all realize in reality there's only one God, right? There's only one right God. Every other God is the wrong God. There's only one right God, and we're going to talk about that name tonight. The name of God that we're considering tonight is the Lord, our righteousness. And it's a Hebrew word that's, this is maybe one of the tougher words, if you look on your handout, you'll see right underneath it, I put kind of like a pronunciation guide. Yahweh Sidkenu. Let's all say that together. Ready? Yahweh Sidkenu. Let's see. That's good. One more time. Yahweh Sidkenu. You could say, I've learned one of God's names in Hebrew. All right? And that sounds kind of impressive. It's the Lord, our righteousness. You say, what's going on? Okay. Real quick, just a little bit of history, just to get us in to where we're going to be in Jeremiah. And I have all the verses. Jeremiah is written to, okay, let me go back. We talk about Israel being God's people, right? And over time, some of us may be more familiar than others, there's actually two parts to the kingdom, right? There's the north and there's the south. And actually, the north is called Israel, and the south is called what? Judah. And so what happens is the north goes bad first. 
and they walk away from the one true God and they start chasing other gods. And God says, okay, and God takes them away into captivity for judgment. Judah in the south is now following the bad example of Israel in the north. And Jeremiah is presenting to the people, like, what are you doing? I mean, just look and see what happened to Israel. I mean, don't you see what happens when you walk away from the true God? There's only one true God. If you don't trust in the one right God, the one righteous God, then you'll never be righteous. The only way to be righteous is to trust in the one right God. And that's what Jeremiah was trying to convince the southern kingdom of, and yet they were walking the wrong way. So our lesson today, the Lord, our righteousness, Yahweh Tzitkenu, couple of points coming out of Jeremiah. First point, ready? Number one, Judah, that's the southern group, Judah turned away from her righteous God and his righteous words. So here's a group of people, and God had reached out to them and given them truth. They didn't want the one true God. They wanted other gods. And we see that, for example, here in Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 15. It's on the screen, and you see it on your handout. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm about to bring on this city and all its towns the entire calamity that I've declared against it. Why? Because they have stiffened their necks so as not to heed my words. The Lord is saying, I gave them my word. And they would not obey my word. They didn't want my word. You say, what were the people doing? I'll go forward to Jeremiah 22, verse 8 and 9. It says, many nations will pass by this city, and they will say to one another, why has the Lord done this to this great city? Why did the Lord let other people come in and conquer the city? And here's, they, then, they will answer. Here's the answer. Because they forsook the covenant of their Lord, their God, and bowed down to other gods and served them. So God, through Jeremiah, is making it clear that you guys are turning away from the Lord. It's kind of like Hebrews, right? Walking away from God, and you guys are chasing other gods, wrong gods. There's only one right God. Right is part of the word righteous. There's only one right God. And Judah is walking after other gods and rejecting God's words. And you would think their spiritual leaders would have been helping them. You would think the shepherds of Israel would have been calling the people back. They weren't. Guys, I think it's like many of our pastors today, right? Our country is filled with Christian churches filled with people who don't worship the one true God and their pastors are not helping them, they're making it worse, right? You could walk into churches today and have people telling you things that are simply not true. That's not new. It's always been that way. It was that way in Israel. That's our second point. What's our second point? Number two, Judah's leaders scattered the people, failing to proclaim God's word. The leaders should have been faithful, but they weren't. 
So I have a couple of verses from chapter 23 in Jeremiah, beginning with Jeremiah 23, verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. And I have a little, I'll read just a little farther. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds. So there are shepherds in Israel, and it should be that they were calling, there's the rest of the verse, they're calling God's people back to the Lord, but they weren't. They were scattering the flock, and God is speaking against their shepherds. In Jeremiah 23, later in the chapter, there's an incredible passage that I often think about, uh, myself being a pastor, and it's really this whole chapter is great on this, but especially verse 28, 29, I have it up on the screen. The prophet who has a dream may... Let me now comment. The, The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters the rock? If, if, now, if I could read into this verse just to give you some context, and if you don't you know, necessarily get it, you can read the chapter later. The prophet who has a dream can tell a stupid dream. That's what God is saying. You got a stupid dream, tell your stupid dream. I could care less. But if you have my word, speak my word in truth. Because your stupid dream is like straw, it's worth nothing. But the prophet who has my word is speaking grain. You can live off of grain. That's God's word. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer. I tell my students sometimes, if you're at a church where you have a pastor... And the pastor's in the pulpit, and he says, I don't really have a sermon today. I just want to share some things that are on my heart. Just leave. I could care less what's on your heart. I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care what's on your heart. I'll go find somewhere else. You know, I had someone tell me just recently, they're worshiping a Trinity now. And I said, you know, why'd you end up at Trinity? And the person said to me, we were going to another church, and we just watched a whole sermon And a guy put up a video clip, and then he commented on it. And the whole time his Bible was in his hand, and it was never opened once. And this person said to a friend, let's get out of here. We're finding a better church where somebody actually opens up a Bible. And that's what we need. See, we need God's Word What Jeremiah is saying, God through Jeremiah, there were all of these people back then, they they weren't called pastors back then, but they're shepherds, leaders. They should have been opening up the Bible and calling the people back to God. They weren't doing that. They actually were making it worse. That's our second point. Judah's leaders scattered the people, failing to proclaim God's word. You say, that's pretty bad. It's very bad, but God made a promise. And this is now in Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6. The Lord promised to restore his people and raise up a righteous branch, the Lord our righteousness, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what are you talking about there? 
Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. Start with verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David, an offspring of David, a righteous branch. And I think the Bible is right to put it as capital B. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. So the Lord's talking about a future day that even though Israel, northern kingdom's already gone, they've already went chasing their other gods, and they were led in captivity, and now the southern kingdom, Judah, is doing the same thing, and they're going to be led away in captivity. One day, God is going to bring his people back, and he is going to raise up a righteous branch. He will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. Notice that word righteous twice. And you say, and who is it? Let's keep going. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. That's Jesus. Here is this incredible messianic prophecy. So this is the stuff Ward knows about that that I've heard him teach on this, that there is a day, a promise made, that Christ would come. Who is he? He's the Lord, our righteousness. Let me stay with that phrase. Righteousness, what does that mean? He's the only right God. Guys, remember the opening question, how many right gods are there? There's only one. How many false gods are there? Innumerable. But there's one God, and he himself is righteous. And here's the key. And he is the only God who can make you righteous. I mean, how in the world can any of us be righteous when we all sin? I'm a sinner, and no matter how hard I try, I still make mistakes. I sin, even on my best day. And then some days I'm not even trying and I'm sinning. But even just the days I even try not to sin, I can't do it. And you're in a similar setting. So I don't have any righteousness. You don't have any righteousness. So you can't help me, and I can't help you. And so we're all in trouble unless somebody gives us righteousness. You say, who's the only one who can do that? The Lord, our righteousness. You say, how does he do that? That's our final point today. Number four, we are declared righteous as we trust in the Lord our righteousness. The only way for us to have righteousness is to have Jesus's righteousness put on my account and my sin put on his account. And this is sometimes called the greatest gospel text in the entire Bible. It is sometimes called the great exchange. And I think both of those are wonderful titles. What's going on in 2 Corinthians 5.21? Our sin is imputed to Christ. So my sin is placed on Jesus' account, if I could put it that way. He made him, here's the, sec, here's the first part of 2 Corinthians 5.21, he, God the Father, made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, Jesus never sinned, to be sin on our behalf. So the only way I can become righteous is something has to happen with my sin. God takes my sin, and the big word we use is imputation. You don't have to know that word. 
God takes my sin and puts it on Jesus. It goes to his account. So I'm no longer guilty of my sin. I've been forgiven of my sin. But think about it, guys. Even if all my sin's gone, I'm not righteous, right? At best, I'm neutral. I mean, I have all this sin going on. If my sin's put on Jesus, okay, I'm even. I'm still not righteous. This verse needs a second part. And the second part says that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. That's the great exchange. My sin given to Christ, his righteousness given to me, imputed to me. And here's the second part of the verse. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I hope that's a verse you could explain to somebody. My heart would be that we all could open up 2 Corinthians 5.21 and we could explain to somebody, this is the gospel. And there are many Christians who have been Christians for a long time. And they would tell you, they would say, I know I'm saved because I've asked Jesus to save me. And you would say, awesome, that's great. How did you get saved? And they would say, well, I asked Jesus to save me. And you would say, that is so cool. And how did you get saved? And they would go, ah, I asked Jesus to save me. And you say, can you explain the gospel to me? And they have no sense of, yeah, I could open up to 2 Corinthians 5.21 and explain to you that my sin was imputed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He died with my sin. He died for my sin. And his righteousness was imputed to my account. Now, I would like to think something that every Christian could do and that we could explain that well so we understand how we're forgiven and we could invite other people to be declared righteous. It's the only way. Okay, so let me just stay with it just a moment longer and then then we'll, we'll split up. Imagine there's a book. So we'll just call it The Life of Greg. It's my book. And, and, and you look at that book, and it's all of my sin. How thick would that book be? You know, I'm every sin. I don't mean just like the bad ones. Every time you forgot to say thank you. Every time you rolled your eyes at your mom, right? Every time you thought a bad thought. Every single sin I've ever committed is in that book. That's my book. And if you said, Greg, what's your life like? I would say, well, here's, here's my book. And, and that's all of my sin. What happens when you put your faith in Jesus? You open up that book, and all the sin's gone. And, and, and it used to be like every sin I've ever committed was in that book. It got put in Jesus' book. And Jesus died in my place. And you say, so your pages are blank. No. I didn't say that. I said my sin's gone. My pages are not blank. I, I, I open up the book and it's like you loved people and you helped people and you always did good things. And I'm like, what is this all about? It's the righteousness of Jesus. And the righteousness of Jesus is put on my account and I am declared righteous. My sin imputed to Jesus His righteousness imputed to me the great exchange. That's the gospel. And it's all through believing 
in the Lord our righteousness. If your faith is in Jesus Christ and you understand the gospel, then you have been declared righteous and the righteousness of Christ has been placed on your account. If that's not something that you've experienced, then you have no righteousness, but you could by putting your faith in the Lord our righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the one true God, you are the right God, and you promised long ago that you would raise up a branch, a righteous branch, and that branch would be the Lord our righteousness. We thank you for Jesus, our righteous Savior, and we thank you, Lord, that you made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. I pray, Lord, that every one of your children would rejoice in that this evening and that if there's anyone who has not yet put faith in Jesus, that, Lord, you would use this gospel presentation related to your wonderful name to do a work of grace we know you can do. All for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.